was really um, challenging for me uh, to be able to try to continue to, I guess, appeal to the established media, whether that's television or print or digital. Um, and eventually we said, you know, screw this and, and let's launch on our own. And so I think that's... The People's Beat hopes to make media in Charleston more diverse and community-focused. I'll talk to three of its founders this morning. Welcome to Now Charleston. I'm Sam Spence. It's Monday, April 11th. Now Charleston takes a look at a handful of issues three times a week and tells you why they're important. A handful of bills you've heard about working their way through the State House have been halted, and a handful of others are continuing on. We'll take a look at a few. South Carolina has scheduled its first execution since readying its new firing squad, but at least one lawsuit is trying to stop it. And North Charleston wants feedback on submissions for its new official city flag. Those stories and my interview with the People's Beat, starting now. But first up, this is the final call for Votes for Now Charleston for Best Local Podcast and Best of Charleston 2022. You can vote now by visiting bestof.charlestoncitypaper.com. I want as many people as possible listening to Now Charleston, and winning Best of Charleston so early on would be a huge boost for this show. Voting ends at the end of the day on Tuesday. You can vote at bestof.charlestoncitypaper.com. Thanks so much to everyone who's already voted, and thanks for even nominating me in the first place. Appreciate it. Last week marked a critical deadline for several controversial bills in the State House to progress before the end of the legislative session next month. The so-called crossover deadline is the date that bills must be passed in one house of the state legislature to be eligible for consideration before lawmakers go home at the end of the legislative session next month. The official crossover deadline this year was April 10th, yesterday. A few bills that did not make the crossover deadline you might have heard about uh, a bill to further regulate abortion in South Carolina failed to progress. The measure would have required women using multi-part medication to end pregnancies to be given a three-sentence statement that advises women on what to do if, quote, you regret your decision, unquote. Medical professionals and civil liberties activists decried the legislation as being inaccurate. A bill that would have regulated how history is taught in South Carolina schools, targeting critical race theory specifically, that's an advanced academic study of systemic inequality. Uh, that bill will likely not move forward after a compromise bill stripped out a lot of its substance. Democrats will still fight it, and conservative Republicans will say it doesn't go far enough. So it's likely going nowhere. But another bill that would prohibit transgender high school girls from competing on girls' sports teams did pass the House and could be taken up in the Senate. The Save Women's Sports Act was actually one of the few things that were fast-tracked in the House before the crossover deadline. Critics of, the, critics of that bill say it's mean-spirited and unnecessary. Arguments in support of the bill mirror national anger among Republicans over LGBTQ rights that have gotten more public support in recent years. When it returns after Easter, the state House representatives could take up a bill that would create medical marijuana in South Carolina. The bill's already been passed in the Senate. It's the furthest any bill like this has ever gotten in South Carolina, um, but it's unclear how much support it has in the state house. Bills that aren't passed this year, by the time the session ends in May, will have to be reintroduced next year. An inmate sentenced to the death penalty is asking the state Supreme Court to halt his execution so judges can review the state's execution guidelines to see if either method amounts to cruel and unusual punishment. Richard Bernard Moore 
was convicted of killing a convenience store clerk during a 1999 robbery when the clerk pulled a gun on him and a scuffle ensued. Moore said he was robbing a Spartanburg County convenience store to fund his cocaine addiction at the time. Moore's attorneys are asking the U.S. Supreme Court to determine if his death sentence in the crime was disproportionate compared to similar crimes. The state Supreme Court denied that appeal last week, but one justice, Kay Hearn, wrote in a dissent that while she's affirmed death penalty sentences in the past, she didn't think Moore's crimes rose to the level of a capital crime, calling it a, quote, robbery gone bad. She continued on, quote, it could be persuasively argued, she wrote, that our system of capital punishment is broken, unquote. The state has been unable to execute inmates for years because companies no longer sell drugs for lethal injection executions, but state law requires at least two options for condemned prisoners to choose how they will die. So, to satisfy that state law, legislators told the state prison system last year to form a firing squad. The new guidelines call for three volunteers selected from corrections agency employees who fire rifles at an inmate's heart. A statement from the Roman Catholic Diocese headquartered in Charleston last week called the Senate's modern-day barbarism and said, quote, Justice is not restored when another person is killed, unquote. Right now, Moore's execution is scheduled for April 29th, pending these state and federal appeals. The city of North Charleston wants feedback on its submissions for its new city flag. If you remember, North Charleston took public submissions for its new flag in an attempt to settle on a clear, concise city flag that could become a recognizable symbol for one of the state's biggest cities. North Charleston got 160 submissions, it says, and it's taking feedback on 10. The submissions range from professionally designed flags to crayon drawings. There are some pretty decent ones in there, actually, even including the crayon one. You can find a link to see all the flags and give feedback on them at nowcharleston.com. The People's Beat is one of Charleston's newest media organizations, recently launching with three co-founders who have Charleston roots, histories of community action, advocacy, and local journalism. Seeking to add diversity to the local media landscape, the People's Beat focuses on telling stories of Charleston's communities of color, but its founders aren't just dialing up the same old media formula to, uh, to report out the news. They're focusing on collaboration and transparency, and they're already getting some help from a national effort to cultivate upstart newsrooms like theirs. I'm so excited today to be joined by three founders of the People's Beat, Fernando Soto, whoop, whoop. <laughs> Nika Gadsden, hello, 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 and Brandon Silvers. Hey, how's it going? Great, great. Um, really excited to have you guys here. Can I ask each of y'all to introduce yourselves individually, just in case people don't know each of y'all? Yeah, my name is Fernando Soto. I am a Latinx journalist uh, covering news in Spanish for the last three years here in the Low Country, and now part of this collective with the People Speak. Hey, Mika here. Um, I'm an area organizer here in Charleston, but um, I'm holding down multimedia projects with the People's Beat. Yes, I'm Brandon Silvers, uh, born and raised here in Charleston, formerly in the real estate industry, and yeah, doing a little bit of everything, including uh, hosting my podcast, Beyond the Art with Brandon Silvers, here at The People's Beat. Fernando, first question up for you. People may know you from your reporting uh, in the Spanish-speaking community and Latino communities in Charleston with Nuestro Estado um, and maybe some other projects also. Uh, tell me a little bit about why you saw an opportunity with the People's Beat and kind of 
what y'all are about and what you're trying to establish here in Charleston. Yeah. So yeah, you're, you're right. I've been around uh, for a little bit with Mr. Stalo, but you know, over the course of that work, I had a lot of allyship, a lot of people that were interested in, in, in hearing about stories in English and just wanting to support the Latino community overall. Uh, and at the same time, you know, there's not a whole lot of coverage uh, from a BIPOC perspective on a lot of issues that are happening uh, in South Carolina overall. And so I got to know Mika through that work um, and Brandon as well. And Mika and I have, have worked together before, have um, done a couple of things here and there. And I just thought it would be a great opportunity to kind of create something collectively so that we could address that, diversify the media ownership here in South Carolina and provide that lens specifically in Charleston, which, um, you know, you don't get a, a whole lot of that black and brown perspective. So who better to join forces with than, than these two colleagues? I'd like to say that yeah, yeah. the people the people's beat actually kind of kind of defies description right now. And that's yeah. not just a, a, a way for me to kind of uh, not be pinned down to any one descriptor, but who, who knows what type of media we'll be putting out in the future. It will be some traditional and then there's going to be some innovative uh, content creation there as well. Uh, Mika and Fernando, I bet met both of y'all are working at the city paper. So since y'all are everywhere, you know, for the past few years, so it's uh, it's been cool to see, Y'all get involved, get more involved, and then get more involved, and then launch this new project. Um, Mika, what kind of significance do you think the People's Beat can have in the Charleston media ecosystem? What does it mean to have that here in Charleston? Yeah, I, I you know, I, I've said this in another conversation. I feel like the People's Beat is poised to fill a void here. Um, and, and Fernando uh, said as much, you know, uh, what we don't see enough of is our stories being written and, and pitched and, and told from our perspective. And that's what we want to do. And not just our, the R is a collective. Uh, we want to tell more stories of those who've just been pushed to the margin. So, you know, we're not beholden to some sort of um, some sort of readership that tells us what type of demographic is reading what um, we want to include as many stories from a, as many different perspectives as possible. And I think that we're poised to do that um, better than any other uh, media outlet here in the low country. Yeah. Um, Brandon, I want to touch on the podcast real quick before we kind of dig in a little bit more on some other stuff. Um, I think you kind of introduce uh, Beyond the Arc is a sports podcast, right? That's what it says on the label, right? But I, I can kind of tell you wanted to flex it into like a different space. Tell me a little bit about it and kind of how you see its role with the People's Beats work. Yeah, so it is a uh, a sports podcast in genre, I guess you would call it. But but so many of the issues within sports overlap with issues that we we come across in everyday life whether it's uh, social justice or equality or, or just self-awareness, everything like that. So really, really taking sports and using it as the vehicle to introduce some of these issues and discuss them in depth as well. This is something that I'm sure we all have a lot of thoughts on, but I'll just throw it out there and y'all can answer it however you want. From where each of y'all sit, what, and each of you, all of us, having lived here in Charleston for some time, what does the local media ecosystem lack? Oh, <laughs> I, <hope that laughs> I want to jump in there. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I, I mentioned this just a second ago, like 
Yeah, lack of diversity. And I think diversity is a word that's lost so much of its meaning. And and I really think that uh, people don't really grasp that. Look, um, it's no secret that I have an antagonistic relationship with one of the the, the local papers here. Um, and, and a lot of that is informed by my frustration as a reader, as a subscriber, as a, as a, a longtime reader and subscriber. I'm not seeing my stories being recorded accurately. And there's tons of nuance and cultural specificity missing from the stories. And not only that, uh, we know that there is cor- there are corporate interests tied up that also inform the coverage here locally, and so I'm I'm here to kind of just say, hey, you know what? This isn't right. The the, the deck is being stacked stacked against you know readers. Um, and subscribers alike. And we're here to kind of like say, hey, no, let's be more transparent and open about how we cover our city. And also let's be more inclusive. And like I said, I met you guys originally when I was working for the city paper. So instead of, uh, and this is a loaded question for you guys, uh, instead of setting out and starting something on your own, why not try to work within the established media ecosystem to kind of tell the stories that you want to tell, uh, you know, pitching to the city paper or the posting courier in as much as you can. Like, I don't know, describe your experience a little bit with that and and kind of why that spurred on the establishment of the people's beat and what you think it can do that you wouldn't be able to do inside the other media entities. Um I think that, you know, honestly, in my experience, um, I, I wasn't new coming to Charleston to, to journalism, and I try to build some of those relationships with um, existing media companies here. But like Mika said, you know, Charleston has a very um, has a very unique environment. And, uh, you know, it, it is stacked against communities of color. It's, it's stacked against audiences. And so it was really um, challenging for me uh, to be able to try to continue to I guess, appeal to the established media, whether that's television or print or digital. Um, and eventually we said, you know, screw this and, and let's launch on our own. And so I think that's essentially why I started Mestre Estado to begin with. And then subsequently now the people's beat. If I could add yeah. to that, um, you know, Sam, you, you asked the question and I hope I'm not summarizing it wrong. Like, why haven't we tried to perhaps work within um, the, you know, the media establishment? Uh, and, uh, who's- just to just to say, I am not I'm not saying that you guys should do that. I just no, am no. saying like that might be something that people wonder about, like why a new thing. Right. Mm-hmm. No, no, that's, that's no. I totally get where yeah. the question comes from. And, I, and I'm for those listening. Um, you know, honestly, I, I want to reject the premise of it only because, uh, you know, per, people like myself who have been in the, it, it's even if it's just citizens journalism, like I've been covering and creating media and creating content for years. Like Fernando said, Fernando has his journalism bona fides. Um, so I think the question, I just wanted to turn the question on his head and yeah. like, why haven't they sought out, sought us out? <laughs> for those of you who might know Mika from social media or something like that. Mika does daily, sometimes two or more hour long Twitch streams about local news and everything else. You know, uh, it's a very interactive uh, broadcast, I guess is, is the word for it, uh, with the folks in the chat. You know, it's a pretty dynamic uh, listen. So Mika, give me the Twitch uh, URL first real quick. Oh, yeah. Twitch URL is just uh, twitch.tv uh, forward slash Mika Gadsden, M-I-K-A-G-A-D-S-D-E-N. Yeah, you can find me every morning at 8 a.m. Monday through Friday. And this kind of leads into what kind of dovetails with what you're saying and leads into another, I think, interesting I like topic, I guess. Um, coming from the journalism world, like the 
the city paper, I mean, we talk about the journalism world like it's huge. I mean, it's, it's pretty small. I mean, there's two major papers, you know, there's one daily and one weekly, right? And then there's uh, a couple other community publications like the Mercury and stuff like that. Um, and then all the TV uh, coverage, which is significant. Like they have to fill a lot of time every day. There's a lot of TV news coverage. Being in that world, I know the kind of like, and being out of that world now, I know the kind of like silly defensive kind of, uh, mindset of, you know, wanting to be the first on a story, which is just kind of like a competitive thing, but it's also like this. And Mika, you and I talked about this a few weeks ago. There's this like zero sum mentality where like, if we don't cover it, no one else can. Or if like, if they cover it, we can't cover it. Right. And so like, tell me, and I don't think that that's the mindset you guys have from my conversations with y'all. Like it's all additive. Right. And that's kind of why I'm doing this podcast. Like you can listen to now Charleston and you can watch Mika's stream and you can check the people's beat and get the same issue three times, but three different ways on it. Tell me the kind of the mentality around exiting or trying to break that zero sum mentality of the local media ecosystem. That's tough. Uh, that's a, that's a great question. Cause really the people's beat came about because we're three people who are intent on, on collaborating. And that that's one of the things that we really are are going forward with this project. Uh, I know we're in the tiny news collective with uh, a lot of other tiny news organizations across the country, and they're all coming with that same collaboration type mentality as well. And I think also to the point, you know, we're disrupting. We're not uh, fitting the traditional media mold. Um, I think that you do have other independent figures, uh, media figures who might do interviews, et cetera, that do get echoed, um, but it's just because it satisfies the status quo in a sense. And we're looking to disrupt that. Look, I, I worked previously in a medium-sized market and it, you know, there is a lot of time to fill. I come from the television world. There is a, a lot of time to, to be filled, but um, I've, I've not seen what Charleston is just so like, uh, so um, I don't want to say lazy, but in a way, like everybody just tries to be friendly with one another and there's really no uh, accountability, you know, like for me, press is, is, is about accountability and holding elected officials accountable. And I just feel like uh, it's just a very softball environment. And then it just further demonizes, you know, black and brown communities. And, and there are some efforts uh, by the legacy publication here, right, to have that coverage and look at this investigative reporting that we're doing, but it doesn't satisfy when your newsroom is still not diverse. You know, you can't tell stories of communities that are under underrepresented, that are systematically um, oppressed if your newsroom doesn't reflect it, if there's no lived experience from within that can think and ideate, like, what would this story look like for someone who's black or what would this story look like for someone who is undocumented immigrant, you know, Brandon, you brought up the tiny news collective. There's a, there's like a movement from within newsrooms and from people that are, that are recently departed from newsrooms to kind of cultivate, uh, these, these grassroots community driven, uh, community minded media entities, uh, and I can I guarantee you that everyone who has worked at a newspaper or who has ever thought about starting their own thing has looked at the Tiny News Collective and said, like, that would be pretty cool to do sometime. And y'all are doing it. So y'all just got accepted to Tiny News Collective. Um, Fernando, tell me a little bit about what the Tiny News Collective does and kind of what burdens it takes off of y'all as the three people who are trying to get this thing started off of your shoulders to be able to kind of work on the stuff that you want to work on. 
Yeah, so the Tiny News Collective is setting out to start 500 uh, newsrooms in uh, underserved areas across the country. And uh, we are part of one of the initial cohorts of the Tiny News Collective. Um, and as someone who launched a uh, news website, you know, uh, two and a half years ago, uh, there's a lot that goes on into maintaining a website that goes on into content that goes in, into news gathering. And what the Tiny News Collective does for us collectively is that it provides a lot of resources. There's a whole tech team that'll you know give us an entire uh, software uh, we'll have a, a brand new website coming up in May. Uh, we'll, we're going to have tools for fundraising. We're going to have tools uh, for reader revenue, for advertising. And so it just facilitates a lot of the technicalities, which people don't see behind the scenes, that honestly do take up a lot of time. And so that's what the Tiny News Collective does. In addition to something that, that we're very excited about, it's just learning from other people that are, that are doing exactly the same thing yeah. across the country, you know. Well, y'all, is there anything we haven't talked about that y'all want to make sure we touch on? Yeah, there's we'll a lot, give you a obviously. scoop. Yeah, we'll let's do it. Okay. Okay. We Fernanda. have a big announcement coming up. Um, and, uh, you know, three of us in the Tiny News Collective cohort are going to uh, receive additional support uh, through a significant funding uh, to make sure that our launch goes smoothly. So the part that I'll leave out is uh, where it's coming from, when it's going to be announced and how much that is. But we hope you guys stay tuned um, because we do expect that announcement probably within the next week or two. Um, and so we are just uh, very lucky and excited, you know, that, that our work is being recognized and acknowledged. Um, and to the point to the people listening, you know, I, I want to say like, even with Mr. Estado and, and another project that I've worked on, a lot of those support has come from outside of South Carolina. And so we're going to take the support, but we would love to harness um, the support within, you know, where we're establishing our own LLC here in South Carolina. We are proud to be in the state and to be uplifting uh, underrepresented voices. Um, but, and we hope, you know, other people here join us. And Fernando, just to put a pin in it, where can people find out about the people's beat? thepeoplesbeat.com. All right, y'all. Well, I really appreciate you guys taking a few minutes. Um, thanks so much for joining me on Now Charleston. Sam, thanks for having us. Thank you so much, Sam. <laughs> yeah, this was great. That's all I've got for you today. If you have feedback for the show, you can leave a voice message at 843-474-1319 or email sam at nowchs.com. If you can rate and review the show in Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening right now, that's a big help also. And as always, check nowchs.com, that's nowcharleston.com, for links and notes from today's show. And don't forget to vote. Bestof.charlestoncitypaper.com. Last call. Bestof.charlestoncitypaper.com. To make sure you don't miss anything before the next show, check twitter.com slash nowcharleston and instagram.com slash nowcharleston. Thanks so much for listening. I will be back on Wednesday with the next Now Charleston.